So you have a fire district, you have autonomy, and you have mutual aid agreements, and you throw that dart right into the center, and you hit the center. That's kind of where the co-op was, that sweet spot of all of them. Welcome to the Triple P Podcast, premier, professional, and proactive, brought to you by the Ohio Fire Chiefs Association. I'm your host, Clayton O'Brien, and I'm the fire chief from the city of Napoleon, and I'm an active member of the association. I currently sit on the executive board for the Ohio Fire Chiefs Foundation, and I became an association fellow in 2021 as part of class number 10. The Ohio Fire Chiefs Association exists to improve the safety of Ohio by leading, representing, educating, and supporting Ohio emergency services. This podcast is not only for the members of the association, but also for any other fire and emergency service leaders. It is the purpose of the association to promote education, best practices, and study ways and means to cope with the ever-increasing need for a better understanding of the complex problems which are being presented to the fire protection and emergency services of our nation today. I'm joined by my co-host and my assistant chief, Joel Fry. Thanks, Clayton. Hello, I'm Joel Fry, assistant fire chief for Napoleon Fire and Rescue. I am a current member of the OFCA, and I currently sit on the Education Committee. I am happy to be here, striving to advance the fire service as a whole. So did he create create something in this contract agreement to be able to state, like, if one of those entities were to fail the levy, like, it was going to be a a safeguard or what? It doesn't exactly say that in there. So what the way we worked with the funding on that was we told the – uh, elected officials, this is what we need across the board in order to get an equal amount, okay? But the contract holds us together um, on operational and functionality. So it made sure that equipment was was taken care of and that staffing was hired. That's a contractual agreement. So if the levy failed and you didn't have it, you were contractually held to get that staffing. So you'd have to go back and either put a second levy on uh, readjust it. You would have had to increase your general fund if that meant you had to increase property tax. The idea was we were explaining to the citizens at the time of the levy saying, okay, this has to be done to fix the fire service. We can do it with a levy and keep an economy to scale. Or if you choose to vote the levy down, there's other ways that we're going to have to go about it. And if that means yep. cutting service or cutting equipment or whatever the case might be, we would have to do it. Like there was no other option. Yeah, and that came with Waterville Township. So back to your point, if if there if one person's levy would have failed, you could have still proceeded forward with the co-op, but they would have had to commit equal dollar amounts to make the co-op work. Uh, so that was kind of that that conversation of we know what a, you know this secondary option is if it doesn't fail, but we're going to pour our energy and time commitment into making sure that the public is informed, the public understands without using fear tactics. And again, that was something Chief Meyer and, and myself were big on. Totally agree with don't, that. Yeah. Don't tell the don't public that. that, you know, mm-hmm. this is going to happen if you don't pass Correct. it. No, we'll be realistic with them. Because we're always, it's what I love about the fire service and why I was drawn to it is because we are problem solvers. And regardless of what is thrown at us, we're going to get the job done, uh, sometimes at the expense of, of ourselves, you know, just mm-hmm. to get it done. So. So, so then you guys uh, do the levy, you, you put the levy out there, but prior to it actually going, you guys now have discovered like the amounts that it's going to be. So 3.25 was going to be the number. Um, then the next steps of, you know, we talk about communication with the, you know, your staff or whatever, what's communication to the public? How, how'd you guys go about that? 
Uh, thank you, COVID. Um, <laughs> that really made that <laughs> difficult. I, I I'm hate saying yeah. that, but that was that was the truth. Uh, that made it very difficult. We couldn't have public meetings. We had um, one one public town hall one. meeting before the governor's orders came out to you know kind of stay at home gathering. order. Uh, so so uh, that one that one first meeting, I think we had ten people in attendance. Um, and it was like kind of like the icebreaker, like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna draw into it and do the icebreaker. Um, and it was ten people. It was it was a great presentation. I mean, I, I had fun with that one, but uh, then boom, now we're virtual. So All we did virtual. everything through Zoom and, and struggled through that. And if you've ever had citizens, especially older citizens that were not used to computers, yeah. iPhones, tablets, all that stuff, they knew what they were but weren't uh, versed in Zoom, uh, made made Zoom meetings a little challenging. But I'm I telling don't even you, think we were, we were versed in Zoom at that we, uh, time. It was bad. Yeah. I can tell you, though, uh, pushing through it, uh, was uh, a bigger piece than you would think. We we powered through it. We continued to have them, uh, no matter how many people were on, no matter how many difficulties there were. We presented, and we went through it. How and many people did you have on usually? I want to say anywhere the, between four and and eight was about yeah, the most. I think our max, the max number we had on one was like twenty. Uh, it was getting closer to to uh, election time, and and we had a higher number. But I agree with Doug in that beginning. You know, it was it was four to five people, maybe max on that. And some were like regular attenders um, because, we you know, we had a couple people that were not in favor of it, um, but did attend almost every single uh, meeting. And that was actually a great conversation because I think it does a check for us. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, some of the their arguments that they're bringing out, you know, it was like, okay, I I can see your perspective on that while I don't agree with it. And here's why, you know, it was a good spirited, I think, banter back and forth that that really ended well. Um, but yeah, about four or five people, you know, max. And, and again, out of a population of how many are you talking? I mean, at that time, the village of white house was, uh, thought to be becoming a city, uh, on the 2020 census, 10 people short, by the way. So we are still a village. <laughs> we uh, were 6,000. They were six. Yeah. So, um, and the townships, what about mm, two, four, 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 well, total. I mean, yeah, you, you look at a total population pool, of anywhere from ten to fourteen thousand. Yeah. Somewhere there. Okay. Yeah. So and so to get four to five people on there, just not many people. But it is also challenging on when you're talking about well, Zoom meetings. Yeah, and advertising stuff, and so. things were way different. Yep. Because we couldn't just say, "Hey, we had a meeting." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you have any other forms to to of links and everything in there? You know. Yeah. Did you have any other forms of communication that went out there? Was it social so, media? Was it uh, you know flyers? What this was this was the awesome doors? part about the original members of the. Um, of the W3 group, uh, they kind of came up with their own, each entity had their own independent um, uh, committee uh, that would, you know, fundraising committee and everything else. So we had signs. So all the signs had to be somewhat the same, but they were different. And that's the autonomy part, which I think is pretty cool. All the signs were somewhat the same, all funded by each uh, entity's committee that they had put together. But we all met as a group and we all said, here's where we're canvassing. Here's where our status is. Uh, so th- I tell you, hats off to, to that, those committee members because they're, they're the ones that really got the message out. Uh, Steve Holland was, I, I believe, uh, he was in Waterville Township, and I don't know how much help he had. I think single-handedly he went around to a lot of, of housing developments in Waterville Township and successfully was you know, able to educate a lot of people on it. So. He was on his own for the township pretty much. He yeah. had very limited help. Now, Waterville had a pretty good-sized community or a committee, and White House had a committee as well. 
Now, the the two of you and also all the other individuals trying to sell this really had to, I, I think, really had to remain fluid throughout the entire process. And and I say that Absolutely. you might, just before this, uh, we, we did this recording of this podcast, how many, di- you brought up three or four different types of presentations that you had and have been for different meetings or different presentations that you had. And that just shows, I believe, the build upon, you know, it's fluid because maybe we learned a little bit from that first one and then always adapting and changing to make sure that you're capturing everybody's needs, wants, and concerns about, you know, I mean, 3.25 additional tax levy is not, not no, you know, a uh, small that, amount of money. That's you know? not, it wasn't, it, you know, we were, we, we were again at that top number. And I think part of the communication, which was important is we were willing to say that, um, you know, this is the foundation because we, you know, we, we still said, we don't know if we want to go in the direction of a district, but we know we have to lay the foundation for the future, which is, could that be the case? We don't know. So part of the presentation also had to be, well, we really can't predict that, but we're saying that we, we also believe in the spirit that something may have to happen, so why not lay that foundation? So I think building on that was huge and being able to say we, we may continue this co-op for the rest of our careers and beyond it and never have to uh, get married. You know, we just yeah, may be able to date from sure. here on out. But, but again, being able to communicate that, we were able to tell, you know, a lot of the citizens that were in favor of the, of the district that economy of scale was brought up by Chief Meyer. You know, they really see that and recognize that from the dollar side. Um, you know, we were able to kind of mesh all these together to say it is still a possibility. However, we can't tell you whether that's, that's the real idea in the end because we, we don't even know yet. You know, that's that's the the whole heart of it. It's kind of that, and, and I know that you can't see this on the podcast, but a slide we had at Ohio Fire Chiefs, the Venn diagram that we came up with, it's kind of that bullseye in the center of the three rings. So you have a fire district, you have autonomy, and you have mutual aid agreements, and you throw that dart right into the center, and you hit the center. That's kind of where the co-op was, that sweet spot of all of them. Yeah, I do remember that slide, and I, I really did like that because it did explain it all of what the whole reason was behind it. But, you know, one of the things that I, I also think about is we've talked about, uh, you know, the funding. We've talked about the communication. we talked about all these things, but there's always some roadblocks or hiccups along the way that really kind of have some major, major stress things and I remember Josh calling me one night um, and it was probably nine ten o'clock at night and it was like something the fault the sky is falling and and if you remember Josh you talked about that there may have been a mishap in those in that levy number and and I, so talk about that talk about how you guys navigated that because that that would have been a very very like reset like we're into it. We're having community. We're, we're having conversations with the community now. And now this changes. So how did you guys, how'd you guys get through that? So yeah, that, that, uh, he gave me goosebumps here just talking about that again. Cause I remember those stressful nights. Oh, um, that was, that was, that was a rough go at uh, it. So, um, it was around mid October when, uh, Karen Gerhardiner, who is a reporter for the mirror, our local newspaper, Uh, came forward and said, she actually sent, I think, a group text message to Chief and I. Uh, She's like, hey, these numbers seem off to me. Can you check them? And I'm like, all up through here. Like, we're talking now back from the beginning of the year. He and I called the auditor's office no less than probably five times. to Almost every time we would do a presentation, I was verifying numbers. I'm sure they got sick of hearing from me because I'm like, you know, I want to make sure that the information we're given to the taxpayers is almost as close to the dollar amount that we're asking for. Uh, so we verified, you know, five, five, six times. What did it start at? What did uh, it start at? So initially, um, I'd have to go back through and look at all my, but we were probably three hundred to four hundred thousand dollars off from what the initial 
amount was when you combine all three levies together. So lower or higher? Lower. Okay, so lower. So you're thinking like a two two point something or whatever levy. Well, so or, at oh. the th- at the three point three uh, the three. The levy that we actually asked for, we knew we, we started kind of going by what what do we actually need dollar wise, and then attribute that levy number to it. Well, so, based on based on home values for for the levy, right? So it would cost the average homeowner so much per hundred thousand. Okay. Where, where the 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 dilemma was was in the auditor's office, a small error was made, which created a large monetary difference. There was a double taxation that they were not catching when they were estimating these numbers. They were some of the township homes were being estimated for the township levy and for like the city of Waterville. And then some of them were being evaluated in reverse for township and White House, which then inflated your numbers. Uh, now, no one was being double taxed. I, I want to stress this to anyone that's 100%. listening. No one was <laughs> double taxed. This was caught before it went into effect. So, uh, but, but it did kind of throw that roadblock and I'll let you finish, but that's kind of where that, that roadblock. Yeah. So, so the millage was the same, you know, but it just, the numbers were inflated. So we were, we were. So you were thinking 3.25 is going to be at the top, you know, topper tier. Like you're going to have a little bit of, you know. We had a 10 year plan. Yeah. And that was part of what, you know, we, we had to emphasize when we're, when we're going out and communicating this transparently, transparently to our voters you know, I'm a taxpayer within my community. I want you to say, Josh, if, if, if you're going to be able to do this, you better be able to do it for 10 years and not come back at year three or four. And that was some of the, um, mm-hmm. the discussions we were having in the town halls. So we, we really were like, look, we got it. We got to hit this mark and we have to be darn near perfect without being, uh, uh, able to tell the future here. So when that came back, that was a hit because that really affected some of our transition within the co-op from year five on, uh, but the cool thing is, again, this is back where uh, firefighters adapt and overcome. Uh, we were able to um, change how we were going to uh, get some capital purchases done. So, you know, Waterville obviously hit theirs right out the Thank bat. Thank you, COVID. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. the second shout out to COVID. Waterville hit theirs right out of the gate. Ours, you know, I'll, I'll turn mine more into a little bit more debt service payment, uh, utilizing the, uh, the, co- the co-op numbers that we have from that, from that millage so it won't hit our general fund. Um, so it all works out in the end where our 10-year plan still remains a 10-year plan, and that's why we always stressed it's, it's lean. It's not bare bones, but it's lean, lean yeah. because that's, that's what the taxpayers expect. So when that money comes in, you got the, now you, you got the 3.25, and you have that little hiccup there. So now we're, we've you said three to $400,000 difference. But where, so like your guys' general funds subsidize, and you have the 3.25 additionals. But Waterville Township, um, where, where does all this money go? come and go like so for example if you guys are now a co-op and you're creating you know capital purchases over in waterville and long-term capital purchases in white house do you guys are you guys individually selecting how and when those things are are how you guys want to go about paying those and when the levy money's collected how is it how is it split maybe in waterville township how is it you know just talk about how who gets the money so go ahead so Waterville Township, with their levy, they bring in uh, a set amount. The auditor then, uh, twice a year, shows what the levy brought in because it's based on home values. So that they show the city of Waterville and village of White House uh, an auditor statement saying this is what it collected. Then at that time, the invoices are sent from the city of Waterville and a village of White House to the township. They take that money, divide it equally, okay. uh, and then pay uh, city of Waterville, and they pay the village of White House half 
So 50-50 split from Waterville yeah, Township 50, 50 split, yeah. right to uh, Village of White House and to Waterville. Yes. And then... That's um, put into the fire department fund, and Waterville okay. has numbers assigned to that. I'm sure White House does too. But it goes direct into that fund, so it doesn't go into the general fund because that's allocated for fire services. It'll go into the same fund that your 3.25 yes. is going Correct. into, which Correct. is separate than your general fund, and the same Correct. for yours. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And, and this is where the, the brilliance of Gary really shined was because he was able to identify this on now a contract. Contract. So all three parties signed a contract that said, uh, like like Chief Meyer indicated earlier, operational opportunities. This is what we're going to do operationally. Uh, but then he was also able to tie in these supplements that are, here's the township's expectation. So the township is expected to take that levy, split it, and pay each community yeah. on these dates. Um, so everything ties together seamlessly, se- seamlessly with three documents. If you are a member of the Ohio Fire Chiefs Association who is innovatively making a difference in your community, then we would like to hear from you. Have you created a functioning program within your community that is making a difference? If you have, look forward to the 2023 Innovation Award. Nominate your friends, nominate yourself, but that could get you a full conference package. We want to hear from you. And then that, then that, I guess, holds you guys true on your ends because it goes into separate funds, so it can't just be, you know, gone anywhere or used for something else, I should say. Um, how nervous were you guys as chiefs in your own communities that if you had change in city administrator or change in village administrator that your general funds would now be reduced because now you're getting a 3.25 and now we don't want to contribute, you know, as much on the general fund because that would still be under their control, so... Yeah, correct. And, and I will say, I think that exists regardless of, of who's there, because, you know, as an administrator, I think we have to give them props to say, you know, they have 13 different lenses that they have to look through from each department to say, how do we make a city or a village function? Whereas, obviously, with us, our lenses, we still have multiple lenses, but they're a lot smaller. Um, so I think the fear is there, but I believe that the community buy-in, uh, the political buy-in assists in that, and, and everyone still talks about it. And the other cool thing with our agreement is we actually formed a, a group. So that W3 that we talked about is comprised of members of Waterville, uh, Waterville Township, and the Village of White House that all sit on as a board. Uh, it is an advisory board, so they can't make any decisions other than contract disputes. So the other cool thing with this is if someone does have a contract dispute, rather than getting lawyers involved and spending a lot of money on communities, we can talk about it as a group and try to settle that without having to go to the next I step. like that. So I there's like there's the accountability piece that you were you were just talking about yeah. there. So uh, you, your administrator could could theoretically or change of administration could come in and say, we don't like that, right? And they want to change it, as you just mentioned. But you have that accountability piece that you're not you're, – you're no longer letting down just your chief and telling him to make a budget adjustment – you're now affecting other communities with it. So those other communities are counting on you to put that in there. That's what we said we were going to put in there. That's what they're expecting, right? Mm -hmm. So you kind of have a little bit, you know, we didn't want to give that fear tactic, but we have a little bit of peer pressure to say, hey, don't let us down. Mm -hmm. 
So I, I kind of pulled up here just to kind of lay out since we are talking about the agreement. Um, you know, again, as you can kind of see, and I'm scrolling through it fast, so you guys got to have fast now, eyes. Now, just real quick, though, Josh, this this agreement, would this gr- agreement be available if somebody got a hold of you? And, Absolutely. Okay. And actually, it's in the process right now um, on the Village of White House's website underneath the fire department. I have a separate co-op tag uh, that will have all of the presentations, the agreements, um, news, you know, anything that we're kind of doing would be available. Directly oh, that's from great. So, so any chief can go to that, your, your website and be able to see it under the different co-op tag. Absolutely. And, okay. And yep. we'll be, we'll be able to get some of that added to Waterville's as well. Okay. Um, I just have to get some of that stuff updated. So, so we're back to your question about what happens if we do have an administrator that comes in that does reduce general fund. This agreement actually ties in exactly what we're going to be staffing. Uh, so there does have to be a little tension put on that to say it's not just as easy as coming in and saying, well, the fire department is going to now lose $125,000 here um, because it, it, it's, it specifies exactly what we need to do to be equal co-op partners. Gotcha. Uh, the other thing is, per the agreement, and all of our present, this language from the agreement was brought in from the presentations that we gave our residents. Chief Meyer had a great point early on that said, if I'm paying for a levy, you know, because we're both, we both live in the communities that we serve. So if we're paying for this levy, one thing I look at, um, again, referring to Chief Meyer, uh, you, you tell me what you're going to be spending. If you're saying you're going to spend this on equipment, what equipment are you going to be spending it on? So we actually laid out in the contract, too, what upgrades for equipment that we were going to have that we're, we're held accountable to now. So that resident knows that, that that levy that we put on is going towards this equipment as well as staffing. I love that. Now, Certain things that, we were going to uh, fix or update uh, accordingly to get – current standards. And you laid out timelines for them for that too? Because you talk, talked about 10 years initially, but was Correct. it a timeline? Because you're, like, you're going right now and then you're you're going a little bit later. So, so. The, the big timeline that existed uh, right away was staffing because yeah. we knew that that was going to be key. So, But we also, again, part of the collaboration and working together and, and to uh, your administrator's point, if we're working together as a group, we also have to identify there's going to be some things that come up that are out of our control. And the agreement does identify that too, to say, yes, we're going to put this target date on here, but we understand that some things are out of our control. Like no one expected COVID. Lo and behold, (laughs) that affected us in multiple ways. Uh, But I'm happy to say, I think that, you know, each community went into this with the right idea and mindset and all of our targets were hit. Actually, you know, Waterville blew White House out of the water because they went through an equipment upgrade that uh, uh, is probably a once-in-a-lifetime experience for any fire chief. So, so we, we, got, we got very fortunate. But, again, those deadlines were meant to give us a good timeline that would be feasible with a monetary um, side of things to make equipment and those capital upgrades. Now, um, when money became available through different resources, so uh, taking into account grants, you don't count on them. You, you can apply, but you don't count until you get it. Uh, so, so we were able to get some of the, you know, relief funds and some different COVID money. So we were able to get to the deadlines quicker. But the contract doesn't say that, that uh, there's any negative thing for getting there quicker. It's just the idea is that if you're lagging behind, you need to communicate that to the committee and to the citizens as to why you're lagging behind. Okay, there is a reason. It's not just, oh, well, we're putting the money away in another account. We were we were being held accountable saying, hey, we're going to make this. Sure. Now, you guys, uh, the co-op 
you talked a little bit about mutual aid agreements a lot. I think that's part of like what gets you guys connected. But when you talk about the capital improvement things, do you guys still stay in your own pillars and make your own decisions on what equipment is going to be needed over in Waterville and what equipment's going to be needed over in White House? And and if you do stay in your own pillars, then it matters. Are we talking that the co-op is connecting just by mutual aid agreements? You're still running as two separate departments? Or are we talking about, does it go a little bit further? Do we share staff? Do we share other types of things, turnout gear, SCBAs, or just tr- tr- training, all those different things? What What is it doing? I think so, all the above, right? Yeah, you, <laughs> you, you, hit a, you hit a bunch of them. I'll hit on okay. a couple, and then I'll let Chief Harbarger hit on a couple. Um, capital purchases, yes, we as chiefs decide what we need in order to keep the departments going. But that's where, again, we listed some of that stuff out because we both sat down and said, what do we need? What do you need? Because if we're going to go share equipment on scene, they don't want, um, you know, a a 1950s, this is exaggeration, but they don't want a 1950s aerial that, that has a ladder that's no good showing up that they might have to use because we're sharing. Um, So the idea was that we're all going to keep current to the NFPA standards. But um, on that same side of things though, and those same pillars, when we go to make a capital purchase, instead of me just going and doing it, I consult with Chief Hardbarger because the idea was like an ambulance purchase. He bought a demo. I bought a, uh, a, a complete engineered built, right? But what we did was we decided we're going to go to the same manufacturer. We ended up with a discount because of that. So, yeah, we got two different pieces of equipment for two different prices, but, but because we came together collaboratively and said we're going to pick the same vendor, we got a discount. So those are some of the things that we've been working on. I'm going to let him hit on some of the training, the staff sharing, but we're, you know, working on kind of all of that. But yeah, when a capital purchase comes in, we, we discuss it with each other first. Okay. So uh, SCBAs, I think is one that mm-hmm. comes to mind. You know, I think every firefighter, you say MSA, you say Scott, they're going to have their opinion of which way they want to go. So, mm-hmm. um, but we're, we're at the same point of where we're going to need to replace our SCBAs at the same time. Uh, so, of course, the spirit of this is we're going to work together. We're going to sit down with vendors. We're going to do certain things that uh, a district would do. Um, but at the end, if if Doug chooses to go with MSA because he loves MSA, uh, you see him giggle. I love you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I choose to go with Scott. Um, you know, it's it's that's that's the direction that we'll go. And again, you know, no, no, no disrespect to any manufacturer. We all just sure. know that that's personal preference. Um, but uh, the whole point is let's sit down first before we just make that purchase and say, okay, if you do choose to go with MSA, I choose to go with Scott, what does that do for us? Now, will you guys form a committee to co- together for like maybe one from White House and one from Waterville and, and put a few firefighters together on a committee to work through that? Is that the pro- is that kind of the idea? It, it, with guidelines. Yeah. So a lot of times what we'll do is we'll get some of that going, but it'll be guidelines given from Chief Harbour and I so that they stay on track. Okay, you're, you have these guidelines to stay within. Now go figure out your solution. So we do get buy-in from them on that, but we also don't let them just have like a way out here because him and I have already had a conversation to narrow it in. Okay. Yeah. So part, part of it is, again, just getting that first, that first step in. Let's evaluate all equipment that's out there because there's some manufacturers mm-hmm. I haven't even hit on yet. Yep. And they, they may have the latest and greatest that may change our mind and say this is the direction we want to go. But right now we have Scott Packs that if we're on seeing our, you know, anyone from our staff – is familiar with that no matter what truck shows up, whether it's a Waterville truck or a White House truck. So the spirit of that, I think, does exa- it exactly occurs with, with uh, apparatus, with SCBA, with any type of purchase that we have. Um, Chief kind of hit on training. I think one of the 
one of the first successes that I saw was um, initiating joint training. So, of course, per our automatic aid agreement that we had that existed before the co-op, we had a requirement that we would train two times a year. Um, it did occur, but it was very structured, very regimented, and um, it was fun, but it just was different. Um, but we knew that we had a culture collide, right? So um, each department has their own culture. As fire chiefs, we all understand that. So how do we now start to merge these, these cultures together to work together better than ever before? Um, the first training was a little awkward, I think we can say. <laughs> you know, it was, it was kind of like that, that first talking phase where mm -hmm. everyone's just kind of in there talking, and it's like, okay, we're, we're on this side. But I'll tell you, the, the last training that we had, it's, it's so awesome to see th th this group of just dedicated people work together um, that it, it, I, I haven't seen something like this <laughs> ever. It's really cool. Yeah, it's been awesome. And then as far as employee sharing, to kind of hit that a little bit, um, we're able to take, when we hire someone in, like at Waterville, we're able to give a strong recommendation to Chief Harbarger, who would interview them. So we're still autonomous on that as to who we hire and when, but we, you know, when you have the backing of another fire chief that you work closely with, it makes that process easier. The other, the other advantages it does do is it allows you to hire in at one place, and then that place will provide turnout gear. Um, where you could take it to the other other place to work, and we kind of have that agreement. You know, if it's uh, damaged on that, whichever fire scene it's damaged on, that chief will take care of repairing it or or possibly replacing, and and it works well. I have initially we said, well, what if everybody hires in in one place and then not the other? Uh, but honestly, yeah, that's a fear. But it really hasn't even happened yet. I'd say we're still about a 50-50 split on that. It's a good 50-50 split. I mean, I know that you've got people using mine, and I've got people using yours. But the other thing is now you've both gained an employee and only one set of $4,000 gear, not two. Yeah. So it, it's coming to a huge benefit financially there. And, th and that, is, that is cool, too, because obviously part of this you know, autonomy is he, he has a specific manufacturer he uses. I have a specific manufacturer I use. But they're laid out almost, almost the same. I mean, you know, the identification and stuff like that. So we're taking that into consideration, too. Um, but the employees have been – it has been awesome. I'm, I'm onboarding uh, one right now that is currently a part-timer with him that now is going to be part-time with us. So it's, that is kind of in the beginning phase, too. Um, but where I will say it's been beneficial is, you know, we had a situation where I was going to have to force one of my full-time individuals – that works part-time at his station. And before I initiated a force, it's kind of weird now, like we talk so much, uh, you know, I, I'm making a phone call. Hey, does this individual work for you on this day? And lo and behold, that, that one did. So rather than just me forcing and leaving him short, because that would have shorted him, actually, I think even maybe a little bit more than it would have shorted me. It would have put me at min staffing and him above. Yeah. So, so at that point, we're like, all right, rather than doing that, that's our worst case scenario because I had to have someone in that position at that point. Uh, we started working in a different direction, and it worked out. We were able to fill it without um, forcing that individual. But I think it's just that spirit of saying – before I make a decision for my department, now this also affects his department. We got we to gotta do those things. That's not the every, I would say, everyday thing. And I think, you know, the future could be, you know, that shared staffing effect where you're hired in, you know, one place but can work multiple uh, positions. The challenge with that that we're starting to overcome is all the onboarding requirements. So we use the same OcuHealth, uh, Occupational Health Service. However, his physical is a little different than mine. Um, administrative paperwork's a little different. So we're going to have to fine-tune fine that stuff before that really becomes a feasibility if we need to go that way. 
Uh, one quick question back on the financial aspect of it. How does the grant writing process work? Uh, are you able to combine your run numbers now? Are you keeping it separate and each entity can submit their own information? How does that work? So ironically, with, we just talked SCBA. Is this what we're going to try to do is one of the first ones is a joint SCBA uh, grant. So my interpretation is we're going to be able to combine our numbers together and explain it, but it's going to take a lot of explaining into what this is because I'm sure um, maybe they haven't heard of it before. So. Yeah. So back to the, I guess the, the question about the staffing thing for in my, in my mind, you would think that, uh, you know, eventually if that's something you're working towards is to be able to have, you know, the shared staffing, because if you're short at your station, uh, Doug, and you have enough people at your station, you send one person over there, it's not a big deal. Now you guys are both equal. Cause if you're deciding of your staff in a, uh, an ambulance or a engine or whatever the case may be. Um, so, Right now, you have to be hired at Waterville, and right now, you have to be hired at White House. With that being said, if I'm an employee out there and I say, I want to, you know, I don't, I want to work at one of your places, what is going to be my deciding factor? Well, as an employee, a lot of times the deciding factor might be that pay. So, do you guys? pay the exact same for the same levels and um or is that different or is that still something kind of like what we're you're you're working on what's that so we're we're working on that we've had some conversations about aligning that and we've also had some conversations outside of just us because if you think about the fire service as a whole and look at this as a even possibly a statewide problem um you look at every department wants to grab the same pool of people, right? So if you can, if you have the money and the ability, you could say arbitrarily, we're going to pay $7 more an hour than the highest paying department so that we get the biggest pick of the pool. And then the next department goes, oh, no, you didn't. I'll give $8 more an hour. And we're arbitrarily just raising the rates without any kind of, you know, negotiations with it. And, and I don't even mean just unions. I mean, there's, it's just arbitrarily raising the rate, Right. So to try to get a piece of the pool. So we, we've kind of had conversations of the surrounding departments that somehow we have to kind of find a good way to stop that. Um, yeah. and, and right now there isn't anything initially, but we've talked about it. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by the Ohio Fire and Emergency Services Foundation. The purpose of this foundation is to promote professional development and provide education and training for fire suppression, fire prevention, emergency management, and other areas of public safety for Ohio's fire, emergency medical services, and emergency response officials and members. And and back to your original question, our pay is very comparable. I mean, there are some differences, uh, just minute stuff that I think comes with being autonomous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as base pay goes, we're pretty darn close. But there's a the big ballpark. there's a big benefit though. So even though we are a little bit off, uh, the the benefit is that when you have a part time employee that's looking right now, a lot of them are younger, as as we know, um, still have mom and dad's insurance potentially, um, or still in school. Uh, they have the ability that they want the hours and the paycheck necessarily, and not as much on the benefits right away. Um, so when they're working part-time and going to school, they would look at, they can pick up a 24 from him and a 24 from me. It's full-time hours. Yeah, they don't have the benefits right now, but they've got the full-time hours and the paycheck coming in. And when they get off of mom and dad's benefits, then they'll look at, you know, which route to go. But with us both having full-timers now, that gives everybody the ability 
to look for growth now because there might be a full-time opening and we're not necessarily losing them all to the bigger cities when we were just straight part-time. But what would be a benefit for me if I was in the employee shoes, you know what I'm saying, if I was to get hired at both places, because if I got hired at your place, say, first, and I was there for a year or whatever, I'm learning and onboarding all on your stuff, on your trucks, on your SCBAs, on your turnout gear. And then now, like, okay, well, if I want to have another part-time job because there's not a full-time job, and I go, and I'm easily, my, my next easy walk-in is White House. So I go over to White House. So I get hired over there, but now I'm on a different SCBA. I'm on a different turnout gear. I'm on a different whatever. Then does it really make it beneficial for the employee to work at both places? If, if you would have those kinds of stresses, because I feel like that would be a stress that I, I would say could easily be, you know, taken away by both of, you know, from, from you two, you know, for the employee. Yeah. And, and I think that's where we, we focus on policy and procedure. So an example of that, when, before we created the co-op, I had a different medical director than chief. Uh, now we share the same medical director, we share the same medical protocols, which is huge from an employee walking in to do the daily functions of your job, especially when we're, you know, 75 to 80% EMS, that was a big tick right off, you know, right off the checklist right there. Um, now fire ground operations, you know, policies and procedures, that's in the current phase that we're in knowing that it, it, it takes a long time. It was eye-opening, like even as close as we worked together before the co-op, just the minute differences between each department to still get the same job done. I think every chief here will chuckle and laugh <laughs> yeah. and say they're there. So part of it is understanding that that one change from my department, you know, now can he, you know, f facilitate that with his policies and procedures? So it's been, a, I will say, a little bit slow on that. But well, you'll a, get that in the training, right? I mean, exactly. the tactics and the training will happen exactly. There. Mm -hmm. But that's also a good slow because mm -hmm. what it's doing is it's forcing us to also think outside the box and say, well, are we doing it the way we should, or should we look at you know a new way of coming in? So that's that's what I like about it. Um, but you know, policies and procedures will always be a uh, that that I think to me, you know, you hit that, you nail that down. That's where a lot of that. Um, a cohesion comes in mm -hmm. from you know getting an employee from one building to the other. Now, again, of course, is being autonomous. The culture is going to be a fuzz different in each station because sure. there, there are just each chief. I mean, I know uh, Chief O'Brien loves shorts, so I mean that's something that uh, he, you know, he's different than other other chiefs. But uh, those are the things that I think you know you just work together on and say why, you know, why is it this way here? Why is it that way here? And that's where we share and and we're. You know, I, I love having open conversations with employees to start saying, have you thought about this? You know, yeah, this is why that certain person thinks that way. Because I really do feel like that would be the next biggest thing in your area. You're like, you guys join together on the funding piece, but joining together on all those things are really make that other, you know, that, that you guys are one department then you're not, not married in the district because of the funding and you still have autonomous administration and all those things. But really when it comes down to the employee that, it makes a benefit if I could get hired one place and I'm right. working at both and then we're doing the same thing at both places, then essentially you could have two turnout, two sets of turnout gear and we could meet those requirements. I just keep one set at Waterville all the time and I keep one set, set at White, White House, House all the time. And then, and then all the training is all the same. We're always with all those things. So I think you guys are on the cusp of, of really, really, you know, cool stuff uh, because 
not to mention you could um, the the employee at some point I would say you would want them to be working at both places. You know, you absolutely you, you would want them. That's to what be we're both, trying to encourage. You know, yeah. uh, and, yeah. and if you ever did figure it out, I know that there's probably a whole bunch of listeners out there that would love to hear about if you were ever to figure it out of that employee getting hired at one location and having the same types of things. Now the benefit. Now you did point it out, Doug. Though the benefit right now, which is unfortunate, I, I and I just I just don't like that sometimes this happens because of the federal requirement of the 24 hours a week. But that is one benefit of having being hired at two separate places. Correct. If you're hired at Waterville, hired at White House, they can get a full-time wage if they don't need the benefits because those are the employees that we're really trying to go for, the ones that are really 20 to 26 years old. They're on their parents' insurance, so they don't need it. Um, but, you know, they're able to actually make a decent amount of money, you know, by doing that. So they're doing one day in Waterville, one day in White House. So that would be the advantage currently, I would say, um, you know, of getting hired separately at each place. And I think to to, to really elaborate on that, when, when you when you look at it from shared services and shared employees, and this is a conversation we had even had, is there a way you can split the benefits? So the employee is really working a full-time job with a full-time wage with benefits, but how do we split those? And, and that is, I think, something that we absolutely are interested in, and I think the committee is interested in that. It's now fine-tuning it with with legal and then what are the mm-hmm. parameters of an employee? You know, we get down that, that but we get down know, that one. That, it, that always gets challenging. The very first thing that comes to my mind is the bill. I mean, so you exactly. guys each bill Waterville Township. So if, if say you hired the employee full time and the benefits, he selects family package. Well, now you're just billing White House. Yes. You know, yeah, exactly. so now you're just, exactly. and, and vice versa. Exactly. So then out of your general fund and out of your 3.25, all you're doing is splitting the benefits side of, of that or, or whatever the case may be. So I, I think that might be a little easier than, I mean, if you guys are already billing each other, I mean, maybe that would be the easier sell, but you know, yeah. it's always until, until the people that actually make those decisions tell us that that's, <laughs> exactly. oh, it can't work like that. <laughs> yeah. Remember the lunch table conversation? Yeah. We're solving the world's problems. Exactly. Yeah, Chiefs exactly. have those too. It's yeah, just, it involves that bigger one that has those 13 lenses that they, you know, they have to look at and rightfully so, because I mean, obviously the protection is now for, um, you know, for the community as a whole, which I greatly respect anybody that, uh, that has to sit in those shoes because man, um, that's a whole different outlook than from a fire chief's perspective. Yeah, for sure. So, so let's, let's catch up to now today. Like, so how is it going today? Um, how long have we been in this? What year did, what year did you pass the levy? So that would have been at the end of 2020. That November is when we would have uh, passed it. So we've been in, um, let's see, we collected on the first year of 21. And then now we're, we're actually technically in the first, the first year as of a funding of, of funding as a whole. Okay. So we've, you know, kind of hit that mark. The first year was essentially spent in getting our staffing to where we needed to be. Yep. So, you know, getting those calls of, answered, getting the training set up, getting the W3 steering committee getting a lot of different things appointed and people put where they needed to be uh, while we were waiting on funding to come in. Cause as he said, we passed it, but the first set of funding didn't even come in until 2021. Sure. So, you know, our cities, our, our municipalities, both municipalities footed uh, a, s- a small set of initial uh, costs till, till all of the levies started coming in. Well, yeah. let, let's give the audience some takeaways. So some, you know, like some think backs, uh, would there be anything that you would, you would change and we'll, we'll do one at a time. So would there be anything that you would want to change throughout the process? Is there anything that, um, you know, what you're, you're looking at for the future, uh, let's say the next one to five years. And then, um, and then we can just kind of wrap up from there. So do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? 
I'll go first if you if you're good. Um, I'll say like I think our most exciting point right now, uh, the W three is finally getting seated. We have a ninth member that they're voting on here at the end of this month. Uh, so that is instrumental in getting a lot of our policies and procedures and fresh ideas out. Uh, the one we're looking at right now is chief on call. So we have four chiefs that operate within these municipalities, and each one of us, you know, autonomously we have one person that's basically available within the community to respond to structure fires or big incidents. That puts a burden on, on any chief, you know, not as if we're trying to get out of work, but obviously we would like some recoup time with our families too. Uh, so the first order of business with this is, is tying together uh, one chief on call for the co-op. Uh, so that means now we can share it with four other people. So I think that's pretty huge and pretty instrumental. That is kind of back to your personnel sharing yep. on how we can facilitate that. So they work for each community. Now, of course, legally, HJ, all these things start to get worked out, and more than likely that's going to be contract-based. Uh, that ties in the beautiful thing about the W-3 is their advisory so they can take this contract back to their uh, other elected officials and get it through. So I think, to me, the future is it, it is still that evaluation. We know we're in basically going into year two of this, and just as we did in the beginning, we have to evaluate. Is it is it going the direction we want it to? I think it is. You know, everything – doesn't happen at the speed of light, um, but I, I think we've done some changes pretty darn quickly uh, compared to where we were. And so that's exciting. And I think it just kind of energizes that. And the employees are asking, you know, a little bit more, hey, what's the next step? You know, what are we doing here? Just had officer meeting the other day and talked about this, you know, that, hey, this is the next step in the co-op sharing for officer on call. Uh, so that, that buy-in and that kind of uh, discussion points are still occurring, which is great. Um, honestly, doing anything different I can't imagine doing anything differently because this ride really occurred for, you know, chief being the, the person that he is, you know, being willing to collaborate the way that he does our elected officials, the way they are. I mean, I can't imagine doing anything differently. I wish maybe I'll give you one. I wish we would have done it earlier. Okay. Right, that's a good one. Right. Done it earlier. Yep. And, and, and honestly, I mean, I knew that was kind of a loaded question of do something differently when it went the way that it should go. And it passed and you guys got it going and you guys are working on it. So I appreciate that. Doug, how but, about you? But for your listeners, he has a, he has an insanely solid point about doing it earlier. It, if you think about it, remember how I said my volunteers declined and I'm down a small mm -hmm. portion. If you think about the co-op, one thing that it does do with stabilizing the staffing for your combination departments, if you look statistically, after you hit that, what I think it is, 500 runs a year, your volunteers start to deteriorate. Mm -hmm. After you hit the 750 mark, your part-timers start to deteriorate. And then when you hit the 1,000 the mark, it really starts to wear the pager fatigue, the run volume, just starts to fatigue them, right? But if you have that staffing stabilization, that shared staffing, and those initial rigs out the door to stabilize initial incidents, then your volunteers can go back to what they used to be in the old days, the cavalry. Oh, my gosh, there's something huge. And we all know in the fire service that's one thing that drives a volunteer, the community passion to help when there's a major problem, right? There's a big problem. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go help solve it. Um, they can kind of go back to the less pager fatigue because – the mundane stuff that is running your volume way up is being handled. So, yeah, starting sooner I think could save some of the volunteer side of it. I don't know that it would fix it forever, but I think it could save it, prolong it in essence. Um, but as far as where we are today, um, really I'm very pleased with the way things are going. Um, I, I want to see it continue. Um, our growth has been awesome. The way we've worked together – I, I do think that one of our next steps is going to be uh, getting the um, standard operating procedures with the same uh, format. 
So, yes, ours are the same as far as the operation side of things. Every time we write a new one now, we write it together instead of independently. But our formats are a little bit different. I know that sounds cheesy, but, like, you know, when you're looking at it from the firefighter side of it, you're looking at two pieces of paper that might say the same thing, but they're formatted totally different. They think they're different, and they're they're not. No, so I, I – yeah, I get to we're working on that, and and I would say uh, to lighten up the mood as we're wrapping up here and have a little fun, uh, one more thing I would have changed was my uh, caller ID tag and, and Chief Hartbarger's phone to Clayton <laughs> O'Brien so he would answer more often. <laughs> we do have a thing. We do have a there thing. There is an agreement. Uh, there have. is an agreement that goes way, way back. If if he calls me or I call him, that it does not matter what is happening. You're, we're picking it up. So I, I will give one one final point, and I think it's the most important. At the, uh, the president's ball at, at – fire chiefs here um at the conference this this summer uh there was a lot of talk and actually it was so so i was so proud to hear a lot of uh you know these people in these leaderships position praising their family and praising their spouse and i think um it is key to say that without the support of my wife and i'll let chief speak here in a minute because i'm sure he's going to echo the same but without the support of my wife nikki my family you know they they sacrificed a lot during this too because there are countless countless hours that we all know as chiefs that you know, we're gone, but I, I can't say it enough that uh, that's that's where the drive and that's where the support come from, because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. And it, and I echo that as well. I mean, my wife, Amber, you know, supporting uh, the children and getting them to uh, appointments and, and practices and things that I'm not able to be there for is, has been a huge, uh, you know, undertaking for her. So the support that she gives, uh, whether she knows it or not, is is massive uh, in us being able to accomplish this. And without that, we wouldn't be able to do it. So the the props go to them. So Absolutely. I can honestly say that. Well, guys, um, I could tell you today has been awesome. Uh, we've been able to really capture a lot of the things. And if I if you're a chief out there listening, and uh, it sounds like the main message is, if you're even thinking about it, get the conversation started. Amen. Get into the talking stage. Because if you don't get into the talking stage, you're never going to start dating. And eventually, you're never going to get married if it ever comes. So um, I really, really appreciate it. It just uh, it, This has just been amazing. Um, and I hope that uh, you know we'll talk again soon. And we'll maybe do a follow-up and see how we're doing doing it you know in a year or two and and see what other drastic strides that co-op has made because i'm i know that there's a lot of other individuals out there that are you know very very curious on it so thanks a lot guys uh we'll wrap it up thank you thank you great thanks thank you for tuning in to the triple p podcast premier professional and proactive brought to you by the ohio fire chiefs association if you'd like to hear more Follow us on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcast. And if you feel so inclined, please help us spread the word by telling your fire and EMS friends about this channel. Chief O'Brien has been serving the fire and EMS community since 2005 with the support from his wife, Bobby, son, Ashton, and daughter, Aislinn. Chief O'Brien began as a volunteer and worked his way up to the rank of fire chief in 2015. He began his full-time career with the city of Faustoria in 2008 and moved to the city of Napoleon in 2009, where he has been a fire chief since 2015. Chief O'Brien is a progressive servant leader. He is committed to improving the fire service through developing young men and women into becoming leaders in the fire service. You will often hear Chief O'Brien ask his staff and others he encounters in the profession, what are you doing today to make the fire service better than it was yesterday? He's extremely passionate about training in all disciplines and is enormously proud of bringing a state-of-the-art training facility to the city of Napoleon. Chief O'Brien holds an associate's degree 
in fire science and a bachelor's degree in business administration. He is a nationally registered paramedic, firefighter two, fire inspector, hazmat technician, and fire EMS, ACLS, and PALS, as well as a CPR instructor. Chief O'Brien is an active member with the Henry County Fire Chiefs, Northwest Ohio Chiefs, the Ohio Fire Chiefs, and the International Association of Fire Chiefs. He participates weekly with the Napoleon Rotary Club, sits on the Substance Misuse and Community Partnerships Committees, and is on the executive board for the LEPC. Joel Fry is the Assistant Fire Chief for Napoleon Fire and Rescue in the city of Napoleon, Ohio. He has been in the fire service for 13 years. Joel has obtained an associate's degree in fire science and a bachelor's degree in fire administration. Joel is a nationally certified paramedic, firefighter two, fire instructor, EMSCE instructor, CPR instructor, hazmat technician, and fire safety inspector. Joel heads up the prevention, public education division, and works to create strong relationships throughout the community in which he serves. Joel has a wonderful wife, Katie, and four young boys at home. He is a member of the Ohio Fire Chiefs Association, the OFCA Education Committee, Northwest Ohio Fire Chiefs Association, the Northwest Ohio Fire Prevention Association, the Henry County Fire Chiefs Association, and the treasurer of the Henry County Firemen's Association Training Commission.